like. Let's go to the book of Luke chapter 18. We've been teaching for a couple months now. This will be our last uh, of the series on praying like Jesus. I called it the final chapter. It's definitely not by any means, but it's my final chapter of this session. I want you to go to the book of Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought to always pray and not lose heart, saying, there was, a, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me and from my adversary. I'm going to start over again. I want to read it again because I think I missed something. Then he spoke a parable. Remember what I shared with you Sunday? A parable is a truth that God is presenting that he's wanting us to push into and pursue the real truth out of it. That men ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he was saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But after he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Now, Jesus told us that we ought to always pray. One of the sessions prior, I made a statement. I think I said it like this. I don't have that note in front of me. I don't think that there is a greater force in the earth than a people that are crying out to God or a people that is praying. If you and I really understood the power of our crying out to God and our prayers, I guarantee you it wouldn't be just talked about. It would be done more than ever. So Jesus said, there's going to come moments when you're going to get discouraged and you're going to lose heart. But Jesus said, don't do it. Don't stop praying. Don't get weary when you don't see things happening as fast as as, as you think they ought to. But then he begins to talk about this judge. Now, something important, we could look at this as a comparison or we could look at it as a contrast. Jesus speaking about this judge and himself. One of the things that I believe in here as a judge when he said he did not regard man nor regard uh, God, had any reverence for God, What gave the authority for this widow to even come into his presence? Got to keep that in mind. We got to look beyond our Western culture and look back again. Under the law, if you would go back under the law, there was a command given by God. 
that the fatherless and the widows would be taken care of. That their justice would be overseen. That nobody would mistreat them. I think it's in the book of James. It would say something like this. That true religion and undefiled is when we take care of the orphans and the what? The widows. So there was a reason she was so bold to come before this judge. I know my legal right to come in. But that's why the scripture was saying, here's a judge that didn't regard the things of God, nor did he fear man. But that didn't bother this little lady. She kept pressing in because he held the justice that she was needing in her life. If you'll go with me to the book of John, chapter 16, you keep your finger there, I guess. But we'll go to the book of John. Here's my first point. I'm going to give you five things tonight that I believe we ought to hold to in prayer. In the book of John, chapter 16, Jesus is telling his disciples he's getting ready to go. Chapter 16, verse 16, and their heart becomes full of sorrow. Because they don't understand these things that he's telling them. Some writers, some historians say that John 14 and 15 and 16 is the last words that Jesus or was the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples at that last supper together. So he's giving them some final instruction. So he says this in verse 22. He said, therefore, you now have sorrowed because they're feeling him leaving. You're leaving us. We don't know where you're going and our hearts are full of sorrow. But Jesus said, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And look at verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. What day? What day is he talking about? In that day when everything is completed at the cross, when Jesus has sealed the deal, when he has finalized everything that would suffice the Father, pay for our righteousness, redeem us back to himself. In that day, he said, you will ask me nothing, but most assuredly I say to you that whatever you ask the Father in my name, that he will give you. So now here's something. Here's the first point I want to give you tonight. When we pray, we need to use the name of Jesus. Father, I come in the name of Jesus. Why do we have to do that? Or why should we do that? Because most of us don't feel, don't feel that we have the capacity or we don't feel we are adequate enough to come into the presence of God, but of the Father to even ask of that. But Jesus now becomes my legal right. By what authority do you do these things? By what authority can we ask? I can come now boldly into the presence of God because he has become my legal right to come before the Father. I'm not just coming in as an outsider, as a stranger. I'm coming in as a son. I'm coming in as one. I've been born again as one born into the family and I have a right to everything that the Father has. But most of the church doesn't believe that. We don't feel that. 
So Jesus becomes, and you have to understand, remember Sunday morning, for you that were here, we talked about the sower that sowed the word and the first thing that happened, the seed fell on the wayside soil and immediately the birds come to eat it up. You and I have got to recognize we've always got an accuser that's accusing us before the Father. He's accusing us to ourselves. He's accusing us to others and others accusing us till we don't know what legal rights we have. The boldness of this little woman was because she knew she had a legal right to be in her, his presence. You realize that he could have had her killed. If she would have come in illegal or in other way, he could have ordered her possibly to be stoned or at least locked up. There could, could have been havoc, but she was not about to leave. Why? Because she understood her legal right. You know, he said, uh, we've been using the Lord's Prayer. That's our foundation. That's really our guide. When Jesus said, pray like this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's giving us a legal right to do is to manifest kingdom life right here in the plane of which I live. You know, the first book of the Bible is not Genesis. The first book of the Bible actually was the book of Job. And when you go in and you read the writing of Job, it gives us this picture of something happening. We could say in the throne room of God, when the sons of God came and presented them cells before the Lord, and this is what the Bible said, and Satan came along as well. And God asked him, what are you doing? I've been going through the earth seeing whom I can touch. And God asked him a question. Have you, cons have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, I have. I've looked him over. But I can't touch him. Boy, that ought to be something. mean he couldn't try him. He just said, I can't touch you. I can't get to him. I want to him. So in heaven, we have to look at it as though we're standing before a judge and the enemy's there with us, if we could say it, and he's telling us how unworthy we are and how much we shouldn't have. But when I know my legal right in Jesus, it absolutely changes every accusation that he has. So when we pray, we use that name. He said, I've given you a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every principality is going to bow at that name. So pray in the name of Jesus. I know I'm just nutshelling it tonight, but this is my last, last little bit that I can do with you in this. But use the name of Jesus. Jesus said four times from... Chapter 14 to chapter 16, Jesus said to use his name, to pray to the Father in his name, that I can boldly come. Said, Father, I come in the name of Jesus. Let me give you the second point. When you're praying, align your request to or with the word of God. Now again, I'm going to remind you of the little widow. Why, why was she there? Because she had aligned herself with the law. And the law made a promise to her. 
The law said I could be avenged of my adversary because I don't have anybody in my house that will fight for me. So now you have to. You have to stand in that place for me. So when we go to prayer, a lot of times we're asking for a lot of things, but this is how a lot of people pray. Lord, if it be your will. Why do we pray if it be his will? Because we're not confident that it is his will. We don't know what the will of God is. But I tell you, when you can get into the word and you can find the promise of God and you can find that promise, then you have every right in the world to bring that promise. Father, your word said you would supply all of my need according to your riches and glory. Father, your word said that by your stripes I am healed. In Isaiah 53, you were wounded for my transgression, bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my, of my peace is upon you. And with your stripes I am healed. It's no question about healing. I'm going to tell you tonight, you know this, we preach this a lot. Healing is the will of God. People being free is the will of God. People being prosperous is the will of God. People being full of joy is the will of God. People being full of peace is the will of God. Our problem is we just don't know it. Even after being in church all of these years, we slip into that religious mode. Well, Lord, if it be your will, and this is where it comes, the longer we pray about something and don't see the impact of it, we get to the point that, well, well maybe it's not. Did you ever think about this? That every promise found in this book tonight that God put in this book for you and I, he intends that promise to be manifested in your life. I want to say that to you. Every promise that's in this book, every one of them, I believe it all my, every promise in this book, God didn't give me that promise just so I, I could read it and say I got it. He intended that promise and intends it to be manifested in my life. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, that all the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. What does that mean? They are yes and amen. If it's a yes, yes, God, it's your will. If it's an amen, it's manifesting, so be it unto me. See, you and I have to realize that amen just isn't the last word of the prayer. Amen is saying, so be it unto me. That's why you better pray good. Hello, so be it unto me. And we need to be shouting an amen to, I'm not looking for, but you need to be shouting an amen to the promises of God. Let it be unto me. May it be unto me. May it be unto my family. Every night when me and Diane are taking communion, she knows this because I declare it, that God, your promises are for me and my house. We'll call our children, our grandchildren by name and some of the other family members. We call it over you that God, these promises are ours. It's your will. You've given us a legal right to them. But pastor, you don't know how dirty we are. You don't know. But wait a minute. Did not God say that I am your righteousness listen even when you're messing up today I want to say that to you 
Even when you blew it today. I, I talked to somebody recently. Good person. I, I'm not going to mention any names. They don't belong here. A great person. They've just been in a spot. And, and this is what he told me because he's had been having to deal with the family member. And this guy's a preacher of the gospel. He said, this person is just making me cuss. He said, I, I said I've never done that in my life. He said, that's not been my language. That's not been, but as I'm sitting and talking with him, I'm watching tears flow down his eyes, out of his eyes, down his cheeks because he's just wore out trying to deal with this situation of family and it's pressing him. Matter of fact, he's, he acknowledged, he said, I think it's a Jezebel spirit working against me. And he said, I found myself literally cussing. But you know what? Just because that come out doesn't make him any less righteous by, the, by any other means than what he ever will be in Jesus. So that's a promise that you... Because a lot of us don't feel righteous. Pastor, are you giving me a license to curse? Not at all. Because my next point's going to prove that. Not at all. But you and I need to know and believe. Align, align a promise with... With, with your word. Man, you guys know I do a lot of, of study and I do a lot of talking about covenant. And I come before God and I say, God, I'm reminding you that you made a covenant with me in Christ Jesus. You have seated me in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. And God, I read in your word in the book of Psalms, I believe it's 89, that once you have covenant, once you have spoken that word, you will not take that word back. Oh man, that ought to be good for somebody tonight. If God's given you a promise, he's not revoking that promise. It's theirs and it's for you to live out. But align yourself. Use the word of God when you're praying instead of just slapping around in the wind. If you need healing, use it. Remember, the little widow understood her, the law. She understood her right to go in. I, I believe, she, hey, I, let me show you something, Judge. I got this document that declares that you have a responsibility to me. Maybe that's what Jesus was saying in the temptation in the wilderness when the enemy came and said, hey, if you be the son of God, why don't you make these stones bread? There's no bread around. But if you're the son of God, you will do this. And Jesus said, what? It is written. There's something about it. When, when we declare that which is written by the word of God. I believe this is the important thing when you're praying. I really do. When God gives you something, a prophetic word or something, that you write that thing down and, and that you're taking that. Okay, God, what are you telling me? What are you showing me? And you're praying that thing out. You're getting counsel to make sure that you've got understanding of what the Lord is saying. You've got others standing in agreement with you. But I believe it is so important that we align ourselves to and with the word of God in our prayer. Are y'all good? Let me give you number three. Oh, this is a good one. You got to keep your life pure. Now, it almost sounds like I'm going to contradict what I just said. But if we are out here living unholy, all of a sudden we're filled with so much condemnation 
that we can't make any move towards God. Anybody besides me, I can have a bad thought and be condemned. Come on, I'm being honest. I can make a move. I can cut somebody off and my heart condemn me. Somebody asked me a while ago at the door, did you turn, come in on two wheels? Why, yeah. But my heart can condemn me to where the point is, I don't feel like I've got any faith. I don't feel like God wants to receive me. And what we take on is we take on the prodigal mentality. I've gotten out here. I messed myself up. I'm out here. I'm all dirty and all filthy. I've wasted everything. Boy, that's the moment the enemy just jumps on you and tells you, I told you you didn't have what you had. I told you you weren't that in a bag of chips. I told you. And he convinces us that the father feels the same way. And so here's the prodigal away from the father. And he decides he's going to go back home. Because I know in father's house there's bread. He wasn't concerned about anything else but getting back because he's hungry. I'm going back because there's bread in father's house. And if you'll follow that story of the prodigal, the father was always looking for his return. But he couldn't embrace the idea that father was waiting. And he was going to come back and be a servant in the house just so that he would have a good meal instead of taking his righteous position as being a son. Isaiah 59, verse, chapter 59, verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short or shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Now, notice something. He didn't say it separated me from you. Your iniquity has drawn you away from me. That's why when we're walking through this, we need to try to live our lives as purely as we possibly can. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm talking about just living. And by the way, guys, let's get back to this thing. There is a way to live. If we're going to live godly Christian lives, there's a way to live. And it will require something of us that the world doesn't do. Me and Pastor Chad was having a conversation today about millennials, about Gen, Gen X, uh, about Gen Z, and there was other, another one in there. And one of the things I said, well, tell me about these guys. Help me understand. I was trying to figure ages out what they're looking for and, and all of these things in the last Generation, this young generation, this gen, generation Z, this is what they're after. They're after authenticity. Authentic Christianity. Somebody live out what you're saying. Live it out. But the problem is we got a lot of the church not living it out. I'm not talking about my standard. I'm talking about God's standard. Somebody asked me the other day is, why do, in a sense, I'm going to say it like this, why do so many believers drink? I mean, I do a lot of weddings of believers, and it's as much of a party at the wedding as it is at a club. 
yet we've embraced things that in once it would pass you, mean we're going to go to hell if we drink. I, I don't think you're going to go to hell if you drink, but it sure ain't helping you. A lot of things I was brought up with and the way we were taught as, as, as children, as young men, there was a lot of things back there. I mean, we didn't do it all. We, everything we did was a sin. If I played basketball in a pair of gym shorts, I'm in sin. Because my pastor preached on that. Because he found out we rented a gym. And we boys were playing. We had our girlfriends there. I, I don't know how he found them. Holy Ghost must have told him. But the next service, I'm serious. The next service, we were told about that thing. But I'm just saying this, church, I really believe, and I know I'm speaking to the choir, but that's hard for us to even get into the face of the world we're trying to witness to because we're doing a lot of things they are. We're telling them, you need to be set free, and we're, we're as bound up as they are. So we need to live very authentic. We need to live as pure. I know we all can make mistakes somewhere along the line, but I believe it's important that we do because, listen, it doesn't affect God, but it affects my view of God and it affects, affects my faith in God that I want. I just don't, I blew it today. I can't ask him. He's not going to answer me because of that, but Hebrews chapter 4, verse, verses 14 and 16, book of Hebrews chapter 4. He says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, or let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Because of Jesus, even if I did blow it, I want to tell you the best thing that you can do if you've blown it somewhere is to repent as fast as you can. You know the biggest difference between David and Saul was? David was a man of the spirit and Saul was a man of the flesh. That's basically the big difference. But isn't it interesting that David commits adultery? David has a man killed. David has all this and God doesn't pull the throne from him. But one mistake by King Saul, you're done. I'm removing the, I'm removing the throne from you. And the major difference of the two and what had happened, both of it was evil and bad. David was quick to repent, and Saul stood in his pride. And I believe the fastest thing that we can do, the Bible tells us in, what is it, 1 John chapter 3, it says if we sin, if we'll confess that sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All I need to do is repent. All I need to do is confess up, yes, God, I blew it. And I ask you to forgive me. I repent of it, Lord. And I'm coming because there's grace in the throne room. I come and I find grace for my time of need that I can obtain his mercy. So I believe it's important that we keep our lives as pure as we possibly can. Here's the fourth point. 
Be specific in what you're asking for. Matthew chapter 7, or I think it's chapter, yeah, chapter 7, I believe it is, 6 or 7. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. What are you asking for? Well, I don't know. I just want God to bless me. Somebody said, R.W. Schambach, how many remember him? If you came up in our circles, R.W. Schambach was an evangelist that went to be with the Lord. I mean, saw a lot of miracles. And when he would pray for people, he would have the prayer line. He'd come to people and say, what would you like God uh, uh, to do, with, do for you? And it was said that people would say to him, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Nothing, I don't have anything in particular. So he would just put his hand on her head and say, okay, God, they've come forward, so I asked you to give them nothing in particular, and then he'd go on. (laughs) Isn't that funny? But that's how people are. What are you praying about? What are you asking about? I don't know if it has to mean, if it has to be, well, I'm looking for a pair of shoes, and I want a pair of alligators, and I want the teeth on them. I don't know if it has to be. (laughs) That's what I asked for. (laughs) I don't know if it has to be that specific or not. But I am not afraid. And I know for my life, and you've heard me talk about this a lot, that when I pray and I'm asking, okay, God, I need some clothes. I didn't ask for underwear. I asked for clothes. God, I want a new suit. And I want the shirt and the tie. I want the socks to match. I I just go to him like that. Lord, I have need of some shoes. God, I've got need of this. I'm asking. I I remember years ago when me and Diane were believing for a home. We wanted a home of our own. For years, I didn't want one. Because I felt like the church would always provide me a parsonage. Whoo, that's not ever going to happen again. Not for any staff person. But I decided, and somebody gave me some advice. Pastor, you need to decide what you and Miss Diane wants. So I thought, okay. So I got me a piece of paper. I wrote out on the piece of paper, we wanted a three, four-bedroom home. I wanted a living room, dining room. I wanted a kitchen. I wanted a family room. I wanted a good neighborhood. I wanted, I wanted two or three bathrooms, and I wanted a nice yard for my kids to play in, and I wanted to be in a, in a, in a great neighborhood. And I just kept that thing before the Lord. I kept praying, God, this is my request of you. I didn't just want anything. I've had people come, what'd you come for? I just want a blessing. Pentecostal people are good about that. I just want the Lord to bless me. What they're really telling me is, let me feel good for about a minute so that when I leave here, I'll I'll have something maybe that'll hold me till the next time I can come back and ask for that same thing. But I believe we need to get specific. Start calling names, people you're praying for. I'm praying for Jelly Roll. Still praying for him. I'm praying God use him. Make yourself known to him and give him a platform which he has. God, that he can declare your word to a generation where I or a number of other people like me would never be able to, but he's there and he can do it. Save him, fill him and his wife with the Holy Ghost clean up their mouth, and God do something great with them. Amen. Amen. I'm serious. I pray, pray that way quite a bit for that young man. Hopefully one day I'll get to meet him. But I, I, because I believe God put him in my heart. But I believe we need to be specific 
in what we're asking for. In the book of Matthew chapter 20, chapter 20 and verse 29, there's Jesus is, is in a city uh, ministering or he's teaching as he normally would go. Let me turn back there. Got so many thoughts in my head right now. Let, let me turn back so I make sure that I'm going to tell the story exactly right. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 29. Here it is. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great number of people followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus passing by, cried out, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out the more, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. And then Jesus stood still and he called them and said, You have to understand, if they're beggars, they're dressed the point of a beggar. They're marked. Everybody knows they're beggars. And it's probably not unlikely that Jesus recognized that these guys were blind. So if he knows everything, then why didn't he just deal with it? He said, I know your need before you even know you need it in Matthew. But he said, I want you to seek the kingdom. I want you to seek me. I want you to ask of me for it. So he asked him, "Uh, what would you have me do for you? You know what I believe if one of them said, well, Lord, I'd just like to have a meal. I believe that possibly Jesus would have put some coins in that cup and he would walk on down the road. I really believe that. But he asked them, what would you have me do for you that we might receive our sight? And Jesus had compassion and he touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed. What are you asking for? What are you believing for? Get specific in what you want. I know we got people looking for spouses. Get specific. I want tall, dark, and handsome. Or I want short and stubby. But whatever you're asking... Because the enemy could send somebody along you don't want. And because you got a need, you'll fall for what you really don't want. But if you've set your sight, God, this is what, and that works for a female. But I believe if you're looking for a job, what are you looking for? God, I need a job. All right, I can get you a job right now. That'd be no problem. We can get you a job mowing yards, cutting grass. Or you might ask, well, God, I want something that's going to pay my bills, have sufficient, that I can take care of everything. And if you'll start believing that way, start asking that way, I believe, and don't give up. Because he said, don't faint when you get weary. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Here's the last thing, and we'll land our jet here tonight. We must link our confession to our prayer after we leave. So many things are nullified. We come to God. We got all the faith in the world. I just leave the altar. And then I go out and start talking about how difficult things are. And my confession begins to fall to the ground. You know, you heard me talk about the desire to have a truck. I'm just using that. 
And I, I said, God, I want a new truck. I, I believe you're my source. I believe you can provide me one. And, and so I go look at a new truck. Whoo, wee. Have you looked at those stickers? Yeah, you look at one of them. And then I find myself getting away from them because, man, that sticker, and if I'm not careful, see, I'd walk away and I'd start, that's just too high. That's just too high. What am I doing? I just sat here and asked him. I wanted him to provide for me, but then I walked out and was telling him he hadn't got the ability to do it. Or I'm believing God, I'm believing you to heal my body and then you want to go have a conversation with somebody about how much pain is wrecking you. You don't realize that's nullifying. I'm not saying you have to lie. I'm not saying there's a difference in just having it. Some people love to tell you how much pain they're in because they're looking for some attention. Go with me to the nursing home. Because they got nobody to talk to a lot of them. So they're looking for somebody and they'll share those things. But I believe our confession, I believe that our prayers need to line to our confession. And if I can't say anything, then I speak the word of God. My friend down here, Jim Hoover, bless his heart. I love Jim. If you guys could have known how far Jim has come over his lifetime. I, I really didn't. He's been in our church a long time, but he must have been one bad dude years ago. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll acknowledge that. But Jim, Jim have pain. He broke his back a number of years ago, and he still has a pain show up once in a while, and he'll text me or call me, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. And this is how he does it. He said, I'm in a little bit of pain, but I'm declaring, I'm declaring Isaiah 50, uh, 53.5, 1 Peter 2.24. And I mean, he's ripping it off like a machine gun. Okay, that's it. And that's how he lives. And I'm watching this guy live out a testimony when I don't know what to say and I don't know what to confess. Maybe the best thing to do is to confess the word. I'm being healed. Thank the Lord. He's healing me. So I'm aligning. He's providing me. I don't know where it's coming from, but I know God is providing all of my need. He has never, ever failed me yet. I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to close with this verse. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23. Let me just read from verse 19. This is so good. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Man, you talk about an open door. May I tell you, we've got an open heaven. We're we're crying, God open, God said, I open the heaven that you can enter into the holiest. Where else do you want to go? That we can go into the holiest and we go there through his flesh because he said, I've ordained this and I've made the way for you to go through. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. I believe, Pastor Scott, that full assurance of faith is this, that I can go in 
knowing that my father is going to take care of me, answer me, welcome me, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Here's verse 23 where I was wanting to get to. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is what? Is what? Is what? He's faithful. But he tells me to hold to my confession. Don't make him unfaithful. But he tells me to hold to my confession. For he is faithful that has promised. You know, a while ago I was talking about being specific. See, most of us again go in and it's like we don't even have a target that we're even aiming at. And it's difficult enough to hit a small target. And it's really challenging to hit a moving target. But if there is no target, it is impossible to hit it. So when you're going in, you got to go in faith believing that he is able. Then look at verse 24. Because I believe this is an answer for all of us because we're better together. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Wait a minute. I'm not the only one looking for a need. I had something happen Sunday. We, we left here and went to Paducah as soon as service was over after we had a little lunch. Because y'all know we, they took Diane's dad to the hospital. And by the way, keep praying for him. He's better. He, they diagnosed him with diverticulitis and treating him for all of that stuff. But he's home and he's doing a little better today. But my brother and sister-in-law was there. And this has never happened, never. Out of all the years I've been in this family, me and Diane are getting ready to get, go home and Dale grabbed me. He said, hey, he walked out with me for a minute. He said, I just felt to ask you something. Is there something I can agree with you about? Is there something I can pray with you about? I mean, immediately my mind was racing. And one of the things that's been on my heart, we need a breakthrough for this church pushing through. I didn't answer. There were several other things that I was, that I, that was on my mind as well. It's something personal for me. And, but I didn't say anything. I said, Dale, I'm going to text you. I'm going to text you. I didn't, I didn't text him the next day. I didn't text him the Tuesday morning because God was showing me I believe what was holding some things up due to spirit. So I, I messaged him and I said, Dale, I want you to help me pray because I believe there's a Jezebel spirit that's working against us and working against the church in a lot of ways. And I, I'm, I'm just believing for a breakthrough. But then I don't know how many other pastors I sit. I sat with another pastor friend. I've sat with several today, but I sat with, uh, with another one and said, hey, I, I really want you to pray because we're going through a difficult time right now. I believe... Not only do I hold to my confession, but I come alongside of you because I know you may be believing yourself for something. Can I pray with you? Can I get in agreement with you? Can I believe with you for what you're after? Because I believe it does something to my confession when I'm just not focused upon me, but I'm focused on those around me. But then he doesn't stop there. Then he goes on and he says this, he said, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another daily and so much more as you see the day of the Lord coming. So what are we doing? We need to be encouraging one another. Hey man, have you got that answer yet? Oh no, but come on, hang on. I'm believing with you. I believe it's just around the corner. I believe it's closer than you can believe. And we got too many believers trying to believe on their own. We were never intended to live that way. We're playing into the hands of the enemy. But God is calling his church to come back. I simply choose to believe what God said do. I need you and you need me. Yeah, Michael tells me that all the time. Pastor, I'm still believing. And we need to be believing for Michael. Maybe it's not, maybe everything is good in your life today. Maybe you don't have a need, but there's people all around us in this church. I know Miss Adrian's battling some things in her body physically again that flared up. It flared up last year at this time and it's flared up again. And we need to pray for her. Stand, she's standing alone. She didn't have a husband. Her family's in New York. She's got some friends, but you're her family. And we need to be adding. I'm just using her among many that are in this room. I believe it's part of our confession. And I've got a responsibility now to you to encourage you. Say, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep believing God. Keep believing God. And listen, guys, if somebody God lays on your heart from, I don't care if it's 10 seconds, they come to your heart. Get a hold of them. Say, hey, just got you on my heart. Is this something I can believe with you about? Because you don't know what they're facing, maybe what they're going through and they're looking for. Don't put that upon the staff to do all. This is what the body is for. That we strengthen. I'm telling you, there's more ministry for people to do if we'll just get into the ministry. And just believe. So don't give up. All right, let's stand. I'm done. Take it, use it. I'm not into, listen, I, I am no more interested in just making you feel good for a moment. I want to see people's lives literally changed and walk this thing out. I'm tired of seeing people roll on the floor only to go back and live the same way they got came before they rolled in the floor. I love it. Don't misunderstand. I love it, but we're failing at something. We've got disciples to make, tell them how to live this life for Jesus. Father, I thank you. And I thank you, God, that you are doing something bold and something mighty in this house and in the lives of the people of this house and the people of this community and the people that we're, God, that we're involved with. And I thank you, Lord, that, that God, that we're going to see the full manifestation of everything that you promised. Lord, I thank you, God, that you haven't given up on us. And God, you haven't failed us and you are true to your word. And God, I just believe for each each one here, God, whatever their need is, that they will not give up and their faith won't fail. But they'll be as that little widow that says, you can avenge me of my adversary. You can answer my request and I'm not gonna let go until you answer. And Jesus, you looked at him and said, if that judge would act that way, how much greater and how much faster will you move in behalf of your people? 
So God, I bless this people to walk in the fullness of who you are, in the best life that you've designed for their life, that they're going to walk in all their blessings. And God, the testimonies, let me tell you what God has answered, how he's moved in my life. So God, I bless them to walk it out and to be a blessing to somebody else and to be strength and encouragement now in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Good night, everybody. I'll see you Sunday morning.